1 John chapter 3, we will read verse 11 down to verse 15. If you are there, I commence reading. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Well, as you can see, we return to a series of sermons in the first epistle of John, and the theme continues to be assurance of salvation. We cannot emphasize this too much because you can be sure that it is one of the most important issues to settle while you are still in this life. It is dangerous to continue even one second without making sure that according to the Bible, you are on the right side of God, not based on your own opinion, because all of us always want to believe the best side of things. But making sure that according to the Bible, you are truly saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, we noted from verse 12 and 13, John warning us that we should not be like Cain. And clearly, he was using an extreme example in order to, as it were, awaken us to this reality that it is possible for you to be among people that you should have, as it were, kindred affection for and still treat them with a grudge, with enmity, and with hatred. Not because they've done something wrong against you, but because they want to obey God, they want to live for God, and that produces a negative effect in your soul. And so he said, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And clearly, that's what often happens even within the context of the church. That those who are living for God, those who are characterized by a real commitment to holiness are often hated by those 
who are living in compromise and who are living in sin. And so just in case that is what you are going through, John ended this section by saying, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. And often, as we saw last week, Christians are perturbed by this reality. Often they are frustrated and in tears. They are asking themselves a question, what have I done that I should be hated like this? And they are constantly searching their own hearts, going back into their own brief history to see what on earth they may have done wrong. And often splitting hair, often even apologizing in case they are just not aware of what they have done. The truth is they've done nothing wrong. The truth is they are hated because they are living a life which is upright and holy and the person, it reflects back on them negatively and they then hate the person who is living a good life. Well, today, we are only looking at the 14th verse where John says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And basically, John, in his characteristic way, continues going in a cycle, almost as though he is simply repeating himself. But as we have noted, in John's cyclic way of expressing himself, he always adds a little extra, an extra thought. And it is that addition that we need to think about this morning. What is the addition that he is adding with respect to love? And it is this, the element of death and life. The element of death and life. Listen to this. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And friends, this is where true evangelicalism pathway with nominal liberal Christianity. Through evangelicalism insists on the fact that a person who becomes a Christian does not simply adopt a new lifestyle, he does not simply adopt new teachings, but he is a person who goes from being spiritually dead to becoming spiritually alive. That it is a very real situation in which we can literally see a major difference. Death on the one hand and life on the other. It is also where true Christianity differs from all the religions of the world. 
Because all the religions of the world simply speak in terms of adopting a new philosophy, adopting a new way of life. Christianity, through Christianity, goes beyond merely adopting a new belief and adopting a new life. It goes on to emphasize that there is the life of God through spiritual life in deading the dead and giving them a new experience altogether. As an author from a previous generation once entitled his book that it is the life of God in the soul of man. The life of God in the soul of man. And this is what John adopts here for us. He draws our attention to this reality. Consequently, let's spend a few moments thinking together concerning this true teaching of biblical Christianity. And it is this, that a true Christian is a person who has gone from spiritual death and has entered into spiritual life. That's the way John phrases the statement before us. And all John is saying is this. We know that we have become Christians. That's all he's saying. We know that we have become Christians. But look at the way he phrases it. He says there, we know that we have passed out of death into life. We have passed out of death into life. Now friends, these are not mere words. That's the way in which the early church understood a person becoming a Christian. It is, if we can take it into the physical realm, it is going into the university teaching hospital, opening the mortuary, seeing all those dead bodies. They are dead. There's no life in them. The soul is in bed. The spirit is dead. And then suddenly, here is the impossible situation. You begin to see, one by one, those individuals getting out of those trays, out of those cabinets, getting up and beginning to walk out of them. It's not a mere teaching. It is individuals who are dead beginning to live life once again. The Lord Jesus Christ, in John chapter 5, used this same phrase. Let us turn there. John and chapter 5. 
John and chapter 5. If you are there, I commence reading from verse 22. Let me begin with verse 21 because there is something about being raised from the dead there. Verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he wills. So the Father has the power to raise the dead. Individuals who are dead being given new life. Jesus is saying, the same has been given to me. That same power to give life to the dead, whichever individuals who are dead, whom I am pleased to give new life. Verse 22. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Listen to verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. He has passed from death to life. Verse 25. Holy, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now clearly here, the Lord Jesus is referring, first of all, to what's going to happen on the final day of resurrection. When at his voice, the dead will rise out of the grave, the dead will rise out of the tombs, the dead will rise out of the seas, and wherever it was that their bodies were scattered, they will all rise, stand before him for judgment, the wicked will be thrown into the lake of fire, and the righteous will be brought into the kingdom of heaven. But he's not only referring to what will happen then, he's also referring to what happens at the point of our conversion. Then what happens is that as we are listening to the gospel, for many of us, we are simply hearing a human voice speaking. But when Jesus intends to save, in the preaching of the gospel, he also speaks to individuals. And as he 
speaks to individuals, they hear him. Because that voice of the Lord Jesus Christ is a life-giving voice. It gives them new life. They go from death to life, and consequently they arise and follow him as their Savior. Charles Wesley, in one of his hymns, says he speaks, and listening to his voice, new life, the dead He speaks, and listening to his voice, new life, the dead receive. Friends, according to the Bible, we are all born spiritually dead. We come into this world spiritually dead. It's not a mere phrase. It's the reality. It's the description of Scripture. Look with me very quickly at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. This is the way the Bible puts it. Ephesians chapter 2. Beginning to read from verse 1. And you were dead. He's referring to the believers in Ephesus. And he's saying to them, once upon a time, you were dead. You were dead. You were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, everybody else who has not yet become a Christian, they are dead. Dead. Spiritually dead. And you too were like them. And then verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in other words, if you are a Christian today, get this right. You are a product of an act of God. An act of God which took place on the day of your conversion. While you were dead, God acted. He, the way in which he created you in the beginning, he now recreates you. And in recreating you, he infuses new life in you. And that's why in verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, Ephesians 2 verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, 
for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you realize it? I'm asking, do you realize it? That you were born dead, spiritually dead. That's the way in which people are dead and they are in mortaries or they are six feet in the ground. You were dead. And then God, out of his amazing love, one day infused spiritual life in you. From that spiritual death, and consequently you cried to him that he may save you, that he might wash away your sins, that he might make you new. This is the reality that John is bringing to our attention here. This passing out of death into life. Very well then. How do we know that we have transitioned from, from death to life? How do we know? Well, there are many texts, and John continues to give them to us. One of them is that we develop a new love for Christians. We have a love for Christians that was not there before. Back to First John and chapter 3. First John chapter 3 and verse 14. John says this, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brother. Because we love the brother. Notice, first of all, that the normal phrase in, in Greek for love of brothers is the phrase Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Phileo is another word for love, and Adelphos is the word for brother. For Philadelphia is simply love for the brethren. And you find it scattered in the Bible here and there in the New Testament. John, however, here still prefers to use the, the word agape, which is also a Greek word for love. The difference being that Philadelphia is, is, is a more natural love. It's, it's a kind of love that is in your heart towards somebody that you have a, a kindred affinity with. You are born in the same home and consequently you have love for that person. Whereas agape is a principled love. It is a love that is not dependent on circumstances. It's a love that is not dependent on how lovable that person is. It is a principled love. A love that God himself has, which we were being told about earlier when our brother Henry read John 3.16. For God so loved the world. A world that is in sin. 
a world that is in rebellion, a world that kills his own son. But in principle, God loves that world in order to bring them to himself. Well, this is the love that God now puts into the heart of an individual that he brings to himself. And notice, it is not a love that he gives so that you love everybody. No, it is a love that he gives that makes you love believers. It makes you love individuals who love your Savior. It makes you love those who name the name of your God. How come? It is simply because when God makes you into a true Christian, what he also does by his Holy Spirit is that he baptizes you into the body of Christ. It's a very real act of God. He immerses you into the body of Christ so that you become one with the people of God. Look with me very quickly at First Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and just verse 12 and verse 13. Verse 12. And verse 13. Notice what happens when God saves an individual. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And that's the reason why he can say in verse 21, for instance, that I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. It can happen. Just as it doesn't happen to the human body, it doesn't happen to the body of Christ. Because it's very real, it happens at conversion. The Spirit of God takes you and immerses you into the body of Christ so that you become one with Christ and one with every other person that has been connected to this body. You have a sense of belonging. You have a sense of affinity. There is a kindred spirit that invariably, suddenly becomes a reality to you. And hence you find from nowhere Suddenly, you have a new love for the people of God. As I've said here before, previously, we used to go to church the way in which we go to the post office or to the shopping mall. 
You simply go there for what you get. You're not interested in who else is there. You pay your money, you get your goods, and you go home. You're not interested in other people there. That's the way in which before your conversion, you go to church. You go to listen to the sermon, to sing your song, to give your money, and to quickly get back home. You don't care who else is there. You don't care what the circumstances are like. You don't care about any details concerning your life. You've gone in, you've got what you wanted, you get home. Until the Lord Jesus Christ saves you. Suddenly you are interested in those churches that are on that pew sitting with you. You want to know their name. You want to know what they do. You want to know where they live. You want to know the circumstances in their life. Suddenly, this comes into you. You want to know their relationship with your Savior. And so one of the questions that will come out of your lips is this. Are you a Christian? How did you become a Christian? Tell me about it. It's not because you want to judge them. It's because you want to identify more closely with them. And as they share with you how the Savior saved them, your heart wells up in praise to God. Something says to you, here is my brother. Here is my sister. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You're born. And you have a life together. And it's amazing how this happens so often. Especially if you believe that. The first few weeks uh, after their conversion, they, they are a little lonely. Everybody is a sea of humanity. And before long, they've integrated. Before long, they are part of that. Before long, that's where their closest friends are. Before you know it, if you visit Christians around the city, you find them in those homes. They are having fellowship with people that before had been complete strangers to them. They are now their buddies. They are now their friends. They are having a lot to do with one another. What has happened? God, by His Spirit, has infused new life into them. God, by His Spirit, has joined them to the body of Christ. And consequently, they now have a new love for the people of God. So what John is saying, if we can go back to our text, he is not commanding us. He's not saying, because you have passed out of death to life, you should love the brother. No. He's making a statement of fact. We know that we've passed out of death into life. How do we know? Because we love the brothers. There's this reality. It's happened in us. We can testify of it. There's a love we have for fellow Christians that we don't have for anybody else on the planet. Now, John is the kind of individual who's never content with positive statements. 
He always wants to make sure that we understand him clearly by saying the same thing negatively. And we must do the same. We must check that those who do not have a special love for believers are still unconverted. They are still in their sins. They are still dead. We must say it. John says it here. Back to our text. 1 John 3 and verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brother. Whoever does not love abides in death. And he means it when he says it. Whoever does not have this peculiar, special, unique love for the people of God is still on his way to hell. Whoever still goes to church the way you go to a post office or the shopping mall is still on his way to hell. That's what he says. And he's not being unkind. No. The way you are kind to people is first of all by being ruthlessly honest with them. When a doctor tells you that you've got terminal cancer, well, of course you'll be distressed. But if he simply said to you, well, it's just a little bit of a cough and so on, you can go home and don't worry, things will be okay. That's not love. That's not love. In the same way, when you know you've got somebody you relate to who claims to be a Christian but has absolutely no interest in the people of God, Love them and love them by telling them, my dear friend, I doubt that you are a Christian. And you know one reason why? You've got no love for the people of God. Absolutely no love. They may be offended. They may call you all kinds of names. But you know, if the Lord opens their eyes, they will thank you. They will say, you know, you are the one person who dealt with my because if you hadn't, I would have still continued listening to gospel messages, thinking they are for other people and not me. Then he challenged me, forced me to question myself. Because I knew you know me. You're closing up to me. You know me. And consequently, you would have spoken on the basis of what you need. That's what John is doing here. And the reason why he does it is because it's true. When we are dead in sin, we are chronically selfish. Life is about us. It's about us. And more than that, because we have not been immersed into the body of Christ by the Spirit of God, we have no spiritual affinity with believers. Nothing whatsoever. So it only makes sense 
that we don't have a special love for them. It only makes sense that we are not interested in their circumstances. It only makes sense. And that's the reason why a lack of a special love for believers is an undeniable proof that you are still dead. You are still dead in your sin. Now you may argue with me, if you want, but wait for the day of judgment. Wait for it. When Jesus Christ will say to you, when I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. When I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. When I was naked, you gave me nothing to clothe. When I was in the hospital, in prison, you did not come to visit me. And you said to him, but Jesus, when did you go through all these things and we didn't care about you? And he said to you, when you did not do this to one of the least of my brothers, you didn't do it to me. Angel Gabriel tied him hand and foot and buried him. There is undeniable evidence that he was still dead in sin, still chronically sick, and self-centered still with absolutely no affection and no affinity to me, to my body, to my people. So look at your life today and use this as a test of your salvation. Be brutally honest with yourself. Do you have a special love for the people of God. For Christians, because they are Christians, have they become your people? Your special people? You are attached to them. When they weep, you weep. When they rejoice, you rejoice. Don't cheat yourself. Because ultimately we cannot cheat ourselves. But God has the fact. Right in his books in heaven, he knows how you spent the last one week, how you spent the last one month. He knows whether you've listened and heard about Christians who are in need, and it's been like water off a duck's back. You've heard, running out through one ear, out through the other, and you simply continued your own little what selfish life. No interest whatsoever in the needs of the people of God. It's recorded in heaven. And when those books will be opened on the judgment day, you may sit yourself here, you will not we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brother. Whoever does not love abides in death. Brethren, we need to return to this 
evangelical view that separates human beings into two clean camps, the dead and the alive. Real spiritual death and real spiritual life. The phrase born again is not an empty phrase. No! It is the spiritual equivalent of being physically born. The way in which you are born into this world, that's the way in which you are born into God's spiritual family. It's not a mere phrase. It represents real spiritual reality. Those who are not true Christians have not experienced spiritual birth. They are still dead. 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 And that's one reason why I really get worried when Christian men and women insist on marrying unbelievers. Come on! How can anybody in his right mind marry a corpse? How? How? Well, if you claim to be a believer, then there is a spiritual reality in which you live and you know that fellow believers and that spiritual reality and when you mingle with unbelievers, you can see they are dead. They are spiritually dead. They've got no affinity whatsoever to your God, to your Lord Jesus Christ, to righteousness and holiness. They live their lives in selfishness and sin. You see this. And then you pull out one of them, dead, and put crutches under him so that he at least looks a little religious and drags him to faith. And the person is dead. Anybody around can see he's dead. Just supported by pieces of timber behind that he can't fall back. And still you see and get you married to the person. Friends, that's not Christianity. It's not the Christianity of the Bible. The Christians of the Bible speaks about God, the living God, invading human history, giving life to individuals. And that's what gives us confidence in the gospel. It's not that we use tricks. No. We don't try and play the organ with such a, a tone or tune that can produce tears out of a rock and then force you to come to the front. No! Simply give the good old gospel and we know that the Spirit of God will come and put life into those whom Jesus intends to save. He speaks and listening to his voice new life the dead So you claim to be a Christian today. Here's my question. Has something happened to you? 
has something happened to you. Something that is life going from death to life. That's it. That you remember at one time you were dead to spiritual things. Then, then one day, the day you never forget, heaven came down and glory to you. You knew that you were a different person, totally different, from death to life. I must be. Has that happened to you yet? I'm not asking whether you've added a new belief system. I'm not asking whether you've now started going to church. I'm asking, has the powers of the coming age invaded your soul? Have you come alive? That's what I'm asking. If you cannot say yes to that question, not likely, you are still not a Christian. And the sooner you throw away your pretense to Christianity, the better it will be. And then flee to Jesus Christ and begin to plead with him, plead with him, plead with him until he really changes you. Ask him to change. Ask him to change. And refuse to be comforted until you can say, I was dead. I'm now alive. I know. Only then will you join the people of God in celebrating this nuclear strength that Jesus Christ produces in us by his almighty Oh, may God help each one of us to have this testimony that I was once dead and now alive in Christ Jesus. Amen.